What I'm going to do is uh, I'm just going to I'm just going to raise a couple of uh, philosophical questions that have come up for me in the course of the last couple days in relation to things that I think are themes throughout all of the talks. So um, hopefully the sort of things that I say will sound familiar to all of you. So the the questions are, that I have are mainly about different orientations you might take towards psychiatry. Um, so the so I think you could think psychiatry has two kind of goals. So one goal is to prevent and treat psychiatric disorders. That's something that um, came up in Essie's lectures and came up in several of the talks today. And then a different goal that psychiatry has, especially I think if you're an academic researcher, is you want to um, understand and explain the ideology of different disorders. You want to know why someone develops depression or why someone develops schizophrenia or why somebody develops antisocial behavior. And um, I think ideally these things are complementary to each other. So uh, understanding depression ideally can sort of help us develop interventions that prevent depression, help us treat depression. Um, and having effective treatments or having effective ways of intervening can sort of help us test explanatory hypotheses and maybe develop deeper explanations. So the two things can kind of, in, in the best cases, they work with each other. Um, but I'm, things aren't always ideal. And the first question that I've been thinking about is whether we might be in a position to prevent and treat a psychiatric disorder even though we don't really understand it. Um, and the thought would be, well, when would we be in a position like that? And I think that it's plausible to think that you could get yourself into that sort of position if you knew what caused the disorder in question. So if you had a good grasp of what caused depression or what caused schizophrenia or something like that, then you could, um, you could prevent it and treat it. Um, and that raises this other question, well, how do we get there? How do we know when something causes something else? And that's the question that I want to talk about first. Um, so I think what I want to do is just distinguish two different um, ways that we might try to address that question. But the first thing that happens usually when we're thinking about establishing a causal relationship, the first thing you sort of get is you get scientific data that discovers robust correlations between things. So you discover there's a correlation between public humiliation and depression. Um, or between childhood mal maltreatment and antisocial behavior, or between smoking and lung cancer. And we want to know, well, um, that's great, but correlation and causation aren't the same thing. So um, correlations might be good for helping us predict things, but they're not so good if we want to prevent something or treat something. So um, this, this is something that is true. So per capita <laughs> cheese consumption in the United States is correlated with the number of people that die from becoming entangled in their bed sheets. Do people actually die like that? Yeah, a surprisingly <laughs> high number of people <laughs> die from being becoming entangled in their, in their bed sheets. Um, so that's predictive, right? If you want to know how many people are going to die from their bed sheets, uh, cheese consumption will tell you. But um, reducing kind of cheddar consumption is is probably not <laughs> going to make much of a difference for that sort of thing. So it doesn't. It's not going to help with prevention or treatment. And what we want to do as scientists is we want to distinguish variables that are merely correlated from each, uh, with each other from those that are causally connected to each other. And as I just said, I think that there are two kind of ways of approaching that question. Um, 
And I just want to say a couple things about each way. So the first, the first way is something that I'm calling mechanistic fundamentalism, which thinks that, well, the, we discover causal relationships by undercover, uncovering the kind of underlying causal me mechanisms that connect variables to each other. So um, we find some kind of linking causal mechanism that connects maltreatment to antisocial behavior, and then we have established that there's a causal connection between them, where we find a linking causal mechanism that connects public humiliation to depression, and then we kind of establish that there's a causal relationship between these things. And the interesting thing about this kind of approach is once you undercover, get these to these underlying causal mechanisms, you also kind of get an understanding of how the first thing causes the second thing. So you get this kind of nice process where things are linked together in a chain. Um, and so you get something that looks explanatory at the same time as you get uh, a causal relationship established. Um, and then when there are cases where there's no mechanism, you just that means that the variables are merely correlated. So there's no mechanism connecting cheese consumption with bed, bed sheet dust. Um, I'm going to skip the rest of that. <laughs> the second approach to causation is something that philosophers of science call interventionism. And the basic idea is that um, causes are things that make a difference. So causes are kind of difference makers. And you know that one variable is causally related to another when the first one makes a difference to the second one. And there are a number of people who sort of developed that simple idea into an analysis of what causation is. And if you have a kind of interventionist approach, or you want to analyze causation in these terms, then there's not really any privileged level at which to think about causal relationships. So any case where you can successfully intervene on something and make a difference to something else, you have a causal relationship. That's all there is to a causal relationship. So if you can sort of change the values in X by means of an intervention on X and have that make a difference to the value of Y, that's, that's causation. Um, and you don't have to worry about um, at what level the variables are. You just can establish causation in that way. So this is a kind of more formal way of thinking about it. Um, and I, the interventionist way of thinking about causation is a way that um, we're you don't, I mean, so you can sort of establish these things at the highest levels, and you don't really need to think about what the underlying causal mechanisms are. Um, there's a couple things that are worth noting about interventionism that I'll just mention quickly. So an intervention is a causal manipulation of a variable. Um, so the account's not reductive in any way. It's just, it's using a causal notion to analyze causation. Um, so if you're, if you're in the market for something that's reductive, it's not a good strategy for you. Um, the interventionist model can be put in probabilistic terms, so we can talk about changes in X making a difference to the probability of Y. Um, there's slight ways you might want to change this kind of formulation to use conditional probabilities, but once you do that, the, the thing works just the same way. So um, you can talk about difference makers to probabilities. Um, and the interventions that you're using to establish causal relationships have to meet some conditions. So one condition is that you don't want to have your intervention on X change the value of Y directly. That's not going to establish a causal relationship. Um, you also don't want it to change the value of causal intermediaries between X and Y 
um, except by changing X. So if the way you're intervening on childhood maltreatment um, also kind of directly affects, um, I don't know, amygdala functioning or something like that, that's not gonna help you establish a causal relationship between maltreatment and depression or antisocial behavior. Um, you want the interventions to not be correlated with some other variable that's causally related to why, so um, you don't want your intervention on maltreatment to be correlated with changes in kind of HPA access functioning or something like that. Um, and you want it to control the value of X independently of other influences on X. So if you're gonna try to intervene on maltreatment to see if it causes depression, um, you want to be able to change the, the, the variable of maltreatment without sort of blocking off any genetic causes to maltreatment or something like that or epigenetic causes or whatever else it may be. Um, but if you can do all that, then you get um, causal connections. So the thought is, is that experimental manipulations on a variable just can establish causal connections between things. And you can kind of imagine establishing through interventions uh, on childhood maltreatment that that makes a difference to the probability of somebody becoming depressed, say. Um, and if you do that, then you can conclude that maltreatment's a cause of depression, right? There's a causal relationship on this kind of picture. And one thing that's interesting to me, or at least intriguing about the interventionist framework is that none of this requires us to understand how childhood maltreatment causally contributes to depression. So it doesn't require us knowing how maltreatment gets under the skin. It doesn't require us knowing anything about the underlying mechanisms. Those are just additional questions on the interventionist framework. Um, there might, we might have other reasons to want to get those mechanistic explanations or mechanistic understandings. So there's other reasons that might drive us in that direction. But we don't need those things to establish a causal relationship, which I was suggesting earlier would be a sufficient thing to know to get us to have effective prevention and treatment. Um, so the, the kind of drive for explanation and understanding at a mechanistic level would be this kind of further step. Um, it's, worth, it's worth also noting in this regard that um, I, don't, I'm, I don't really know if understanding and explanation are always achievable. So I think that there's a very strong temptation to think that causal connections are, in principle, intelligible to us. So once we know that two things are causally connected, even if we don't quite understand them, the relation now, at some point, human intellect is going to penetrate that relationship and we'll be, we'll be in a position to understand how these things work. Um, but I don't know why that should be true. I don't know why we should think that the causal structure of the world is going to be completely penetrable to human understanding. Um, so one of my favorite philosophers is Hume, and Hume thought that causal relations were basically arbitrary, and anything could be causally related to anything else. And if you think something like that, then there may be cases where there are causal relationships that we just don't get, no matter how hard we try. So it might be that irregular dopamine firing causes thought insertion delusions, or poverty causes depression, and there's just nothing more intelligible to say about this, right? We don't, we're, we're not gonna get a more illuminating picture of how those processes work. Um, I don't think that's gonna be true in lots of cases. I don't think it's gonna be true about most of the cases that you guys have been talking about today, but um, it is something that I, I, I think is interesting. <coughs> so 
The mechanistic fundamentalists and interventionists kind of think about causation in different ways. Um, they also think about mechanistic explanation in different ways. Um, they also think, I think, about integration of levels in different ways, but I'm not, I don't have time to talk about that. So I think that for the fundamentalists, um, causation and mechanistic understanding go hand in hand. Um, being in a position to medically intervene on something um, involves understanding how the process works. Um, you have an understanding of the mechanistic process, and um, that can be causation and explanation at the same time. And the mechanists might think that interventionist experiments are evidence of causal relationships, but the underlying mechanisms are the real causal cogs in the wheel driving what's going on. Um, I, I, I think fundamentalism has two problems that I'm just going to mention and not talk about more. Um, first is I don't think you can say what a mechanism is without appealing to the notion of an intervention. Um, you need to be able to distinguish components of a thing that are uh, the working parts of the mechanism from other components of the thing. And that, that kind of thing is going to require you to appeal to counterfactuals, like what would happen if we change this. Um, the second thing I think is weird about the fundamentalist view is that it has a hard time understanding omissions and negative causation. So my um, not watering my plant caused it to die. That seems right to me. Um, but there's no, there's no mechanism there. Um, What about interventionism? Well, interventionism, I think, is interesting in that it licenses us to make causal claims without having to understand mechanisms. So you can just say things like childhood maltreatment is a cause of depression if you've established it by intervention without having to understand how that happens. Um, and being in a position to make claims like that might make you nervous. So you might be very worried about making claims like that. And I think that there are at least three reasons you might be worried. And I'm gonna, if you have these worries, then hopefully what I say will alleviate your anxiety. So one worry you might have is like, well, claims like that are just false. It's not true that maltreatment causes depression because not everyone who's maltreated becomes depressed. And that's right, but I think what it shows is that we shouldn't be understanding causal claims like this as universal generalizations that don't have exceptions. Um, they, you might wanna understand them as generic claims, like dogs have four legs, well, do all dogs have four legs? Of course not, but that's still true. Um, so there's, there's a different kind of way that you want to understand statements like that. Um, I don't think you should understand causal claims like this as having a kind of hidden quantifier in them. Um, if you don't want to understand them as generics, a different way to go is to think that causal claims uh, kind of mimic the semantic structure of um, modal claims, claims that have might in them. Um, that seems like a very plausible view to me. Um, we can talk more about that some other time if you're interested. Um, a second worry you might have is like, you might be thinking, well look, causes necessitate their effects. So if we say things like childhood maltreatment causes depression, then that doesn't leave us any room for like mitigating causal factors. It doesn't leave us any room for thinking about people developing resilience or anything like that. And I, I think what that shows us about causal claims is that most of the time we make causal claims we're presupposing some sort of background conditions. And the background conditions are usually left implicit. So striking a match causes fire, um, but it doesn't cause a fire if we take all the oxygen out of the room. That second thing is pretty rare. So we don't, we don't say it 
when we make causal claims about match striking. But you can get yourself in context where you want to make this kind of thing explicit. Um, but I think the way you should think about it is that's kind of implicitly in the simpler causal claim all, all along. Um, and it's also true that if you want to, I don't know, if you want to make a room resilient to fire, a good way to do that is to take all the occupants. Um, a third sort of worry you might have about the kinds of things interventionism lets you say is that you might worry about how we translate these general causal truths, like about maltreatment or about, um, about public humiliation to individual patients. And I think that that question has come up a lot over the last few days. It's a good question, but it strikes me that it's just a, a problem for medicine, not for, it's not unique to psychiatry. So smoking causes lung cancer, but Jonathan's smoking didn't cause his lung cancer. Um, so what do we do? Well, an answer you might want to give is to say, well, if it, what we have to do now is we have to do more interventionist experiments. We have to intervene on things going on in Jonathan's life to figure out how it is that he got lung cancer, since this general thing isn't true for him. So what, is it, what is it, does the interventionist framework mean for our drive for understanding mechanisms or for the search for underlying mechanisms? I've already said that um, the interventionist doesn't require you to understand mechanisms to make causal claims. So how are we going to understand this kind of program where we're trying to give mechanistic explanations of things. Um, and I think that there are a few things that you could say. So one is a search for mechanisms looks like it's a search for more comprehensive explanations and for greater understandings of things. So understanding mechanisms that connect smoking with lung cancer is plausibly going to increase our understanding of lung cancer. Um, and the same thing is going to be true in psychiatric conditions. I think it's very plausible that Neurobiological mechanisms, genetic mechanisms, neurocognitive mechanisms are all sort of component parts of processes that connect maltreatment with various kinds of psychiatric symptoms. So explaining those things and understanding those things is just gonna give us a broader understanding of the phenomenon. And I, we've seen loads of good examples of that over the last few years. So Anthony Scott um, worked with colleagues that link maltreatment to all sorts of things. Um, so they're all things that everybody else has talked about, so I don't need to talk about this. But I mean, I think it's very, very credible to think that if you understand those mechanisms better, you're going to have a deeper understanding of what's going on. The second thing that you might um, want to understand mechanisms for is that the neurocognitive variables and the neurobiological variables and the genetic variables are all possibly confounding variables. So uncovering mechanisms is going to be crucial for testing causal hypotheses. So it might be that maltreatment and depression share a common cause, something like poverty. Um, you might have a case where an allele is a cause of both antisocial behavior and maltreatment, and you want to rule that sort of thing out. Um, and it might be the case that when you try to intervene on childhood maltreatment to test it, you kind of independently make differences to things like amygdala functionality, which would be a violation of the kind of interventionist conditions. And I actually think all the work that Essie was presenting on the callous and emotional traits is kind of a good example of how you can sort of parse out different variables that might be making a difference and eliminating confounding factors and things like that. Um, the third thing I was going to say is that most of the time we make causal claims, we're relating pluralities of things to individual events. 
or at least a lot of times from this. And um, so you say things like the poor weather and the driver being intoxicated caused the crash. So there's two things that both causally contribute to the crash. And each, what that means is that each one of those things was a, was a cause of the crash to a different degree. Um, and I think that all of these kind of mechanistic things that are in play are plausibly causes of whatever psychiatric phenomena we're interested in. And what you're going to have is this case where there's a plurality of things, each of which contributes to depression to a different degree. Um, and I mean, you probably want to know ultimately what degree each thing contributes. But um, one way of thinking about the search for mechanism is that we're just uncovering these pluralities. And finally, I think um, the mechanistic components are quite plausibly intermediate causal variables on a kind of pathway. So um, they're, all, they're all relevant to the causal hypotheses that you might want to test. You might be more, most interested in direct causation, so you might, might want to know what the most direct cause of depression is. That's going to require you looking for mechanisms. And one thing that's come up today in a couple of places is that it might be easier to intervene on intermediate variables and a kind of causal pathway than on something like childhood maltreatment. So it might, we might have a better, a, a much simpler way of making a difference to whether someone comes depressed or if we just intervene kind of at a, some midpoint on a causal pathway. So those are, those are all four ways you might want to pursue mechanistic explanation, even after you've gone in for a kind of interventionist way of thinking about causation that allows you to make these kind of high-level causal claims. The last thing I want to say is, so this last point about the ease of interventions um, made me think that there's this kind of ethical question that I don't really know the answer to. So suppose we discover that the neurobiological factors that are relevant to depression or to antisocial behavior, and we kind of establish causal relationships there. I think there's a question about whether we should intervene on them. Um, and in particular, whether we should take the resources that we devote to things like social work and support groups and early intervention programs and siphon them to intervening on uh, brain things. And um, it, to me, it feels like there's something funny about doing an intervention like that. But I don't, I can't quite put my finger on what's funny about it. So the, the only thing I could sort of think about is whether or not there's a difference between something like childhood maltreatment and smoking. So suppose that, suppose we find a way to sort of like intervene on the bad consequences of smoking downstream from smoking. You might think, well then smoking is okay. But the only reason smoking is bad is because it has ill health effects on the smoker. And if we can sort of prevent those um, later on by, I don't know, intervening on epigenetics or something cellular, then there's no reason to not smoke. Um, and childhood maltreatment doesn't feel like that to me. Childhood maltreatment feels different. So even if we could prevent the negative consequences for the maltreated child, it feels like we should still intervene on childhood maltreatment. Um, and um, there are reasons why that's probably true, but I don't have time to, to talk about them, so I'll just stop there. Thank you.